Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you as your people today to, re- to hear from your word and to apply it to our lives and to let it shape us so that we can live as members of your kingdom. We ask that you be with us today. May your spirit that lives in all of us and, is, and that is present here guide us and draw us closer to you. We ask this all in your son's name who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. There's a couple of different places around that uh, I can get a really good echo. I noticed this last night when I took our dog out before bed. It was night, and last night it was a little bit damper, so there was like a lot of great resonating uh, matter or whatever you want to call it, molecules around. So I, I walk out the side door of the parsonage, um, the one that would face the west, and I let the dog out, and then I say his name because he's not doing what he's supposed to. And it just echoes off the side of the church and off the building over there, and it's really, you can really hear it. And there's different times where I can really get a good echo off the church from the front of the house. And then there's also this place when we start to walk up the stairs in the parsonage because um, a lot of staircases are this way. My mom and dad have one like this too, where the staircase opens up to the ceiling level of the upstairs really quickly. So the staircase has this big hollow chamber. So there's some really good spots where we can get some really interesting echoes that I know Annette and Abraham even have enjoyed experimenting with when we're walking up the stairs. So we get these echoes, and they're a lot of fun, and they sound interesting. And echoes in general are an interesting idea because you speak... And then the sound waves, you, you know, bounce back to you. So imagine before, your, before we knew how that worked, before we discovered sound waves and how sound vibrates and creates waves in the air, much like water waves, that can bounce back and we can hear them, imagine how weird echoes probably were. I don't know. I, I'm sure that they would have been an interesting thing that people thought was weird spots that would have probably become holy and or cursed because you don't know what happens whenever someone talks back to you when you're talking. But what's interesting about echoes, and I've talked about this before, but I've never used this echo language, and I think it will really help us, is the New Testament and Jesus, and really all of the New Testament, echo the Old Testament. So as Christians, we are mainly people who focus on the New Testament. But we cannot understand who we are. And we cannot understand our identity as Christians and as people of God until we come to understand our connections, at least in some ways, to the Old Testament. And that's hard because we didn't grow up as ancient Jewish people did. We didn't grow up living the Old Testament laws. We didn't grow up with that mindset just because we, didn't, we weren't raised that way. As Christians, there's things about the Old Testament that we don't ever look at. And also, there's been this change in the way that, that Bible teachers and Bible scholars have thought about the Old Testament and the way it relates to the New Testament in a way that they realize that for a long time, 
we maybe weren't quite understanding the world of the first century well enough to actually understand the way that Jesus and his disciples and Paul thought. So we were actually misunderstanding them whenever we were listening to and reading the New Testament. Not in substantial ways, but in ways that when we understood them better, it helped us to better understand what it looks like to live as a Christian. So today's story from Luke is very much an Old Testament echo in the New Testament. So we can only <clears throat> understand this story when we understand it <clears throat> through the lens of a first century Jew who would have been raised knowing the stories of their people like we know the stories of our country. And they probably knew it better than we know our history. So if you want to open up to Luke chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 28 through 36. Luke chapter 9. And in the Pew Bible, that is page 900. So Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. So this is how this passage opens in verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. So we open up with this line, and there's a lot to wonder. For example, well, what is after eight, de- after eight days of what? Because Jesus, it says after eight days after Jesus said this. Well, after he said what? For us to understand this passage, we have to know what Luke is referring to. So anytime we read the Bible, if we pick up in the middle and we read something like this, and you're like, well, I don't know what he's talking about, and you just start reading, without answering this first question, well, what is it that Jesus said eight days before this happens in Luke's story? We cannot understand this passage because we have no idea what is informing the current story. Well, if we go back to verses 21 through 27, right before this passage, what we see is that Jesus is talking with his disciples, and we even go back further than verse 21, we see that Jesus asks his disciples, who am I? And then this is when Peter says, for the first time, anyone has used this word about Jesus, and it's Peter, he says, you are the Messiah. Now, we've talked about the Messiah many times. I'm going to say it again. The Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah, the one who, and the Messiah just means anointed one. And now when we say Jesus Christ, we actually are saying Jesus the anointed because Christos is anointed in Greek. Messiah is Hebrew. So Jesus the anointed one. That's what it means when we say Jesus. It really should be Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. He is the Messiah. Now, the Jewish people thought about the Messiah as this person who would come to save them. He was talked about in their, their scriptures. There's psalms about the Messiah. If you read the prophets, this idea develops of this person who's going to come and deliver Israel and bring them back to the golden years. When they were obeying God, whenever they were being blessed, whenever they were a nation like under the King David, that golden era. And they were waiting for that. And the Messiah was coming. Because remember, in the days of Jesus, the Israelite people 
were under the Roman Empire. They were simply a nation under the Romans. Now what that would be like is for us, is, and, and this is not a good example, um, just because we would never think of doing something like this, I don't. But as Americans, if our government just went somewhere and started conquering small countries, and we said, okay, well, you're now under our government's rule, but you don't become citizens, you don't get the rights that our citizens get, but you have to pay taxes and we get to exploit your resources and for our advantage. That's basically what was going on. So the Jew, Jewish people wanted their Messiah to come. Now Peter says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. And then what Jesus immediately says after that is very important. What he tells his disciples is, yes, I am the Messiah. But he says, I will suffer and die and be raised on the third day. And then he says, all of you, if you want to be my followers, need to take up your cross and follow me to death. So that's what he says. That's what's informing this passage. So in the ancient Jewish context, if you're a Jew, you're like, wait a minute. We thought the Messiah came to rescue us from the Romans, not die. We thought you were going to lead us in battle to victory. But now you're telling us to follow you to death. So this puts them in a completely unfamiliar place. Because they're like, well, we've been waiting for this Messiah. But now Jesus says he's the Messiah, but he's like, well, I'm going to die. And they're like, well, there's this thing about him being resurrected. We don't know what that's about. But the Messiah is not supposed to die. And that's all they can think about. So Jesus' disciples are left bewildered. And then this story happens. So Jesus takes Peter, John, and James with him up to a mountain. And while they're on the mountain, this is what happens. So remember, they've just heard this. They're not sure what to think. They have no idea what Jesus could mean when he says, I'm going to die and raise in three days. Verse 29 continues. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he had, was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So they're on this mountain, and crazy things start to happen. First, Jesus' appearance changes, and his clothes become bright as flashes of lightning. So basically, he's this glorious, bright ball of what you can't look at. And then on top of that, Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus. So this event has a name within our Christian tradition. It's called the Transfiguration. And I, I remember many times when I was in college reading through the Gospels, and I get to this passage and I'm just like, what in the world is that? I don't remember hearing about that growing up. And I didn't know what to do with it. This is an example of the echoes. The echoes of Old Testament themes. So first, think back to what we just heard 
from Exodus chapter 34. Moses goes up on the mountain, he receives the law, and he comes down, and what happens? The people of Israel are terrified because they see him, but what is, what's going on? Does anyone remember? What's happening to Moses? He's glowing, right? His face is shining. It's described as radiant in, in the NIV. And they're so scared that he tells them the law, but then he has to cover his face. Because they don't want to see it. And the reason his face is glowing is because he's been in God's presence. And the glory of God comes on Moses and makes him shine. So strange. Now Jesus, he's not in the presence of God. He's the one radiating this glory. His appearance has changed and his face is shining and his body and his clothes are like lightning. These echoes of the Old Testament. So what is this first bit of weirdness mean? That Jesus' appearance changes and that his clothes shine? Well, for the disciples and for us and for the readers of Luke who are like, wait a minute, I knew the Israelite story and the Messiah is not supposed to die. We now immediately have an Old Testament echo to affirm Jesus' identity. Even though he's challenging the Israelite understanding of the Messiah, he now has a Mount Sinai experience like Moses. Only this time it's not Moses that's glowing because he's been in God's presence. It's Jesus that's glowing because he is showing the glory of God himself. So this is a confirmation to the disciples and also to us who now read the gospel that Jesus does in fact come to do the work of God as his anointed Messiah. But what about Moses and Elijah? So these are two important characters in the Israelite story. Moses we've talked about and we've, we probably know who Moses is. But one thing that's weird about Moses, now if you read the end of Deuteronomy... Moses is said to have been buried by God. So within the Israelite world, there was this weird mystery around Moses because no one ever saw his dead body, or at least that's how, that's how it's presented in Deuteronomy. And then Elijah had a similar experience. Elijah was a prophet in um, the book of First, or one of the king's books. I think First Kings. Now Elijah... It was a prophet who was training Elisha, and then out of nowhere, he's taken up by a flaming chariot into heaven, and he's removed from this earth. So we have these two characters who have these strange events around their lives. So there's a lot of mystery within the Jewish faith about these two people. And they, within the Jewish world, there was a common belief that Moses and Elijah would somehow return before the end of what they called the age. So now we see these echoes of a change in perspective. Something is happening. Moses and Elijah have appeared. Now they meet with Jesus and they talk about his coming end or his departure, which actually that could be translated exodus. So now we have another Old Testament echo of the exodus of the Israelite people from Egypt, in the book of Exodus. 
So we have this narrative story. And in this story, we, Jesus has revealed shocking things about who he is. And then immediately we have this glorious echo of Old Testament ideas that shows Jesus as radiating the glory of God and being present with two of the Old Testament heroes of the Jewish faith. And Peter, James, and John are there to see all of it. So Luke tells us their response. This is, now this is how they respond, starting in verse 32. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. So they're on the mountain and they witness this event. But what's interesting is Luke says they were sleepy. So it's almost as if while Jesus was praying... The disciples fell asleep, and then they're stirred awake by this commotion and this bright light, and they don't know what's going on. And only Peter is able to speak, and this is what he says in verse 33. So as the men were leaving, Peter said, or leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then Luke adds this. He did not know what he was saying. So Peter's there with, his, with James and John. And they see what happens. And all that Peter can think is, well, maybe we should make some shelters. Now, for us, we don't really see this connection because the NIV uses the word shelters. But other translations, um, probably the ones in our pews and other ones also, use a different word other than shelter. They'll use the word tabernacle. Now, a tabernacle is another Old Testament echo. Can anyone tell me where the tabernacle came from? Where, does anyone know what it was? I'll say it was a tent. Does anyone know where in Israelite's history the tabernacle was important? Story of the Covenant, yep. The Ark of the Covenant, right? That's what you, yep. So the Ark of the Covenant. And it was made, I won't make anyone answer any more questions about the, about the tabernacle. So it was um, a tent that the Israelite people carried around with them in the wilderness. And they would set it up and the Ark of the Covenant would go into the most holy place. Now what the tent represented was God's tent in the camp of the Israelite people. And the presence of God would actually dwell in the tabernacle. And the Ark of the Covenant was actually supposed to be the throne of God. And it was this throne where he would put his feet on the tabernacle. So this was the image of the tabernacle that became the temple. It was the, the image of God dwelling with his people. So now we have another Old Testament echo Peter doesn't know what's going on, but he feels like it's important. So he wants these people to stay in the presence of God to dwell with them. So he's like, well, let's make these tabernacles. Now, Peter doesn't tell us how Jesus responds. All he does is tell us is that Peter didn't know what he was saying. So now this is interesting. Within the story of Luke's narrative, 
The disciples don't quite understand who Jesus is until after the death and resurrection at the very end. So while they're in the midst of learning who Jesus is in this story, now Epiphany is the season when Jesus is revealed. So Jesus is revealing himself to his disciples, and they don't understand. They even see this miraculous event, and Peter doesn't know what to say. They're sleepy, they're confused. They say the first thing that comes to their mind. This is what Luke wants us to see. The disciples did not understand who Jesus was until after his mission was finished. So I think this is important for us. It's an opportunity for us to realize that that we are on a journey of faith just like the disciples. Now, the, the journey, we should be walking on the journey. But if we're at a place in our life where we don't understand why things are happening or what God is doing or what he's trying to tell us, it's part of the journey. And there's times when the disciples, now Peter, James, and John, these are some of the most important names in, of all the disciples. Peter becomes a very important character, so does John, and then James becomes one of the earliest martyrs for the faith. And these guys didn't understand. So it's okay for us if there's times when we don't understand too. Faith is a process. But while we are in process, we also have the luxury of being able to look at Luke's story from the outside and know some details that the disciples didn't. Like, we understand what Jesus means when he says, well, I will suffer and die and and raise. We can understand what that means. And we also can see these Old Testament echoes that Luke so very clearly makes for us in his story so that we can connect the dots in a way that maybe The disciples probably couldn't. And what we're getting is their reflections and processing of this event. And they can tell us later what happened. Because when we read the very last line of this story, it'll tell us that that Peter, James, and John didn't tell anyone else what happened right away. But certainly after Jesus had resurrected and they're with Jesus and they're reflecting on everything he taught them, they're like, wait a minute, that one day on the mountain... And then they're able to see all that is put into this story for us. These Old Testament echoes. We're able to see these. So we need to listen to them. But before we get to the echoes and see their meanings, let's talk and look at the very last bit of this story. Starting in verse 34, this is how it continues. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this, here it is, to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Because who could have explained it? They had no idea what was happening. They just, maybe we're all crazy. So Peter, James, and John don't tell anyone. So we now now know why there's no answer from, from Jesus about Peter's suggestion It's because while he's speaking, a cloud appears and takes over the disciples or covers them. Again, this is an Old Testament echo. Early on, whenever the Israelite people met God on Mount Sinai, 
Moses drew a line in the sand in the ground and he said, you cannot pass this line because the presence of God is going to come over the mountain and God's going to speak to us. So God comes before Israel and he says, he says, thou shalt have no other God before me. And the Israelite people hear this and they're so terrified that they tell Moses, we don't want a God to tell us anything else. We want you to go talk to him for us and then tell us what he says. So then they go up, Moses goes up on the mountain, and that's when we get the end of the story that we read earlier. This is an Old Testament echo. The, God, the cloud of God covers the disciples. And again, a voice comes from the cloud. And this time the voice says this. This is my son who I, whom I have chosen. So this is the second time that God is called Jesus his son in Luke's gospel. The first time being Jesus' baptism. But God adds something this time. He says, listen to him. Again, this we think is an Old Testament echo from Deuteronomy 18.15. Where this is what it says in Deuteronomy. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Now this is Moses speaking to the Israelite people. God will raise up a prophet like me, Moses says, from among you. From your fellow Israelites. And this is what he tells them. This is what Moses says to the Israelites. Recorded in their scriptures in Deuteronomy 18, 15. You must listen to him. So what we think is going on is this Old Testament echo. Where Jesus is being positioned as the second Moses. So we see these echoes of the Old Testament faith. Jesus is the new Moses, the second Moses. And after all this happens, the cloud goes away or disappears, evaporates. And all of a sudden it's just Jesus with James and John and Peter. And then they go back down the mountain and Peter, James, and John don't tell anyone. They just keep their mouths shut. But they have this experience that they hold on to that they don't know how to make sense of. But we can make sense of it. So remember, the whole story starts with Jesus telling the disciples that he's their Messiah. But the Messiah isn't going to quite be what they expected. He's going to suffer and die and raise in three days. And now we have all these Old Testament echoes. We have this radiance of Moses. We have Moses and Elijah, important Old Testament figures. We have a cloud that envelops the disciples, we have a voice from the cloud, and then we have this Old Testament echo of listen to him, that Jesus is the new Moses. So what are these echoes pointing towards? They're pointing towards this new second Exodus story. God is preparing to save his people again from slavery and bondage. And this time, the Moses is Jesus. This time, the Moses is God himself. This time, Moses, the new Moses, Jesus is going to suffer and die, but be resurrected to save his people. So Jesus embodies these themes. But remember, the point that we need to take is listen to him. Who does Jesus claim to be? 
And now this is what the disciples needed to listen to. What does Jesus tell us about himself? And what Jesus told his disciples is that he saves through suffering and death. He's coming to save them, to deliver them, to bring them out of bondage as their Messiah. But Jesus saves through suffering and death. If we keep reading either the very next passage or the one after that, I think there's one in between, there's a second time where Jesus predicts his death to the disciples. And there's at least one more time where he does that again. He tells them more than once, I must suffer and die. But even though he's going to die, we have this Old Testament echo that Jesus is in fact the new Moses to come and save God's people and deliver them from oppression and slavery, to liberate them. But how is it that he does that? How does Jesus save? He doesn't save with victory or with fighting and with military force. Jesus saves through suffering and death. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we've heard this story about your son that you've told us to listen to him, to look at the way in which he tells us he comes to save us, that he comes to save through suffering and death. Now, Lord, as we prepare to enter the season of Lent on Wednesday, as we prepare to follow Jesus, your son, on this journey to his death on Good Friday, May you be with us. May you help us to prepare. May you help us to put our lives and put ourselves in a position to reflect upon and make that journey with Jesus towards his death. And may we remember that Jesus saves through suffering and death and not through power and oppression, but through suffering, giving his own life. We ask this all in your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.